One of my partners literally gifted me a mug that said define naughty on one side because I'm so known for trying to construct that shared vocabulary because I'm mm-hmm. just so done with having those conversations where your I partner... I have that exact shirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do. Do you really? That's so amazing. I do. Welcome back, Intimates. Thanks for your support on Patreon, making this 2021 season possible. This podcast is about all things intimate, relationships, love, connection, community, consensual non-monogamy, kink, orgies, lovers, and of course, good old-fashioned sex. I talk with old friends and even meet some new ones. I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts to counselors, sex partners to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my hosts, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory, where I was born, where I work, and where I currently live and play. So settle in for an intimate conversation. What is self-resourcing? And who has an easier time with compersion? Does your community moralize compersion or shame jealousy? And is it healthy to have jealousy or is banning emotions that you can't even talk about in your relationship the more unhealthy thing? You may already have some pretty good answers to these things, but what about strategies on how to manage those circumstances? Dr. Jolie Hamilton suggests practicing compersion and managing jealousy on smaller, easier situations and then working up to harder ones. And of course, Dr. Hamilton has many, many other good pieces of advice. I'm always happy to have her on the show. I love her content, and I can't wait to share more of it with you here on Intimate Interactions. Welcome to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with Dr. Jolie Hamilton, the relationship coach, research psychologist, TEDx speaker, best-selling author, and ASEC-certified sex educator, who also co-hosts the Project Relationship podcast with her anchor partner, Ken. Jolie's been featured in the New York Times, Vogue, NPR, The Atlantic, and now here. She spent more than two decades studying and reimagining what love can be if we open our imaginations to possibility. Thank you so much for being with us today here on the show. Thanks for having me. It's just a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you. I feel exactly the same. Um, I feel like we didn't get enough time to talk about compersion last session, so I would love to dive into it again. I wanted to talk about the differences between the psyches that tend to produce a compersive affect versus a jealous affect, or I, I guess I shouldn't even set them up as, as dichotomous like that because you are so great at, at um, pointing out that you can experience both simultaneously. But um, the elements of a psyche that tend to produce a compersive um, affect is, is what I'm interested in. For me specifically, I'm curious about a sense of obligation or where obligation and monogamy has been weaponized with, you know, I, you need to meet all of my needs, like sexual or otherwise, um, because it's your obligation or responsibility as my partner. And how those individuals, when they finally get free of monogamy, can sort of be like, oh, great, you have another partner and you like doing anal with them. Amazing. I'm not into that. Um, you know, please mm-hmm. go get all of your anal needs met with that human. I have absolutely no horse in that race. <laughs> like um, there can sometimes be this intense sense of compersion, like, oh, I'm so happy that you've you know, got all of those experiences that I never want in a thousand years with you. Right. You know, I think one of the things that you're pointing to is that a lot of us didn't feel like we had our needs met um, in childhood, in our early romantic relationships. And so we Mm -hmm. fall into a pattern of, yeah, imagining that we have to get our needs met. And then the cultural story upholds the idea that we have to get all of our needs met by one person. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy to find yourself there. So if you, if you hear yourself described in that, yeah, I get it. And some people, 
have an easier time of disengaging from that. They, they just, it, it flows for them a little bit more easily or they've just done a lot of work. They just, they dug in and they did the work to unhitch their need, like their um, self-worth from getting that need met. They stopped resourcing their partners as the sole source of needs, right? They start self-resourcing. Mm-hmm. And when, when there are differences in how people um, are, like where they've gotten to in that, yeah, it would be, it's totally normal for some people to just have an easier time of it, to put it really simply, to have an easier time of it. I think where it gets tricky is do we do we put a lot of emphasis on how good that is, how the, on how that identifies them as a good person, right? And mm. in particular in non-monogamous communities, there's this myth of the good poly person. Um, and that that myth is really, really tricky because sometimes we have a person who's really good at maintaining their um, emotional equilibrium and they're just happy. They're like, yeah, go get your needs met with that. I think that has nothing to do with what I want. Awesome. And I'm just cheering you on from the sidelines and I'm feeling some compersion and this is great. And sometimes what we have is people who are pretending that those things are true because they believe that that's what they're supposed to do. Right. The moralizing. And sometimes they convince themselves. <laughs> yeah. That's tricky because if we moralize about it, yeah, if we, do, if we decide that feeling lots of compersion is morally better or makes us better at doing our relationship, mm-hmm. um, well, we lose the opportunity to learn from jealousy, for one thing, um, and we're just not going to have an authentic response. When, when, if and when jealousy then does come and bite us in the butt, uh, you're probably going to have some problems because you weren't authentically expressing the smaller jealousies that had come before. You know, when it becomes overwhelming, mm-hmm. which jealousy absolutely can do. Jealousy is archetypal, which means it is both mundane, banal, everyday, and completely overwhelming like a tidal wave. <laughs> I loved the um, the um, metaphor you used in one of the previous sessions we recorded where you said it's like stuffing a beach ball under the water. Like at some point it's going to come rocketing up to the surface if you don't like slowly ease it to the surface. And it's just such a... Exactly. It's a great visual of a beach ball just smoking you in the face because you just were trying to hold it <laughs> under the water. Exactly. And a lot of times people think that in, they imagine that jealousy is actually a beach ball being batted at them from across the pool right in the face, mm. right? They just, they get it delivered to them. But that's missing the point that your, your emotions are yours. Mm-hmm. Their origin is endogenous, right? They are yours. Mm-hmm. And so if jealousy is coming up, and while it may have been inspired by something happening outside of you, the emotion is yours. And every time you, you get back to that stance, you have the opportunity to take action from there. And when I think about those folks I know, um, I, happen to, I happen to be anchor partner to one of them, um, who jealousy isn't a huge, it's just not a huge emotional factor. He's got problems, don't worry about it. But <laughs> it's not a big driver. But that means that when it does pop up, the first time I saw it pop up, we've been together for 13 years, the first time I saw it pop up, ooh, it was brutal because he had no idea. Mm. He had been, he had put himself in the camp of people who, ah, I don't really, I don't really struggle with jealousy. Right. He didn't go so far as to say, I never feel it, which I have heard people say. <laughs> um, and I struggle with, because I'm like, yeah, but you're not dead yet. 
Just wait. Yeah. You know, we don't know. It, we can't call that one. We can't call that until we call your life. Yeah. So, um, and also I didn't get to see you as a child. So yeah. it would be actually really, 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 really unusual to not see it in a child. So if we just make space for the fact that jealousy might be a low issue for us, and that does not mean, you know, past performance does not indicate future performance. It doesn't, we have to be careful because what I saw in my anchor partner was when it came up, he didn't have the words for it, but more importantly, his identity was tied to being this low jealousy person, mm -hmm. which he had moralized without ever realizing it. He had moralized it a little. He had, he had made that part of his identity as who he was in relationships and it made him feel good about himself. So then when it came up, now he's got a double whammy because now he feels bad about himself on top of wrestling with the jealousy. Right. Rough spot to be in. Yeah, they say um, <laughs> they say the first cut is the deepest, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a song about that, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. And I think the same could be said for compersion. I've heard people describe how they've never felt compersion. You know, they, they're just like, I don't get it. Mm. I don't I don't feel that. So I always take them back to like really simple examples. And we start looking for places where they do feel compersion that don't have to do with jumping into the deep end of being excited that your partner's boning somebody else. Right. Like we, don't, <laughs> we don't have to go right, right. there. Um, and that's often where people first, they first even come in contact with the word compersion when they open a relationship and their partner is having sex with someone else. And now they're like, I'm supposed to feel compersive. I'm supposed to feel excited for them and happy for them. And I'm like, cool. Did you practice that when they were, you know, having their first text exchange mm -hmm. with someone? Did you practice that when they were, when you were making your dating profiles together? Or did you practice that when you, when one of you went to grad school and the other didn't go then? You know, yeah. there are a million ways that you can practice it beforehand and jumping into the deep end um, of a place where many, many people are triggered and many people can even predict that they will be triggered. It's just asking a lot of ourselves to, to wait till then. I, I couldn't agree more. That's, that's such a lovely way to put it. Like, did you practice it? <laughs> because often yeah. I find the answer would come back like, Oh, we can, we can practice these things. I don't know. No one told me about that. Right. Right. Which is normal. I, I mean, the culture at large, the monogamous, um, the cisgender, mono, het normative, yeah. like the one, the soup we swim in, it doesn't ask us to feel good about our partner getting attention from other people. Mm -hmm. We don't even have to sexualize it. Attention is the word that comes up the most frequently in my, when I'm listening to monogamous participants share their stories of jealousy. Mm -hmm. They don't actually, t they, don't, they don't talk about sex because most of them are like, well, I was either cheated on or not. Right. But like they know and they differentiate that and they're like, okay, but why am I jealous when I'm not being cheated on? And what they don't have is this, I the idea that they, it's the attention, what they, what they describe, but they don't really have the words for it. But I hear it, I pull it out of their really rich descriptions is they don't want their partner's attention pointed at anyone else. And they don't want their partner to receive attention from anyone else. So if we dial this back to, how do I feel when my partner's getting attention? Cool, great place to start. So before COVID and when parties were a more normal thing, they're starting <laughs> to come back here. I would say, great, go to, go to a party and decide to spend at least a few, you know, a section of that party separate 
And pay attention, watch as your partner has attention from other people, especially people you suspect they might be attracted to. What happens? What right. happens? And I ask you to go right to your body. First, check in with your body. You see your partner across the room receiving attention. Maybe somebody's laughing at their joke. Maybe somebody's reached out and touched their forearm. You know, all those signs that attention is being paid. What happens in your body? Because if you can get clear on what happens in your body when jealousy first pops up or when the opportunity for jealousy is present, you've now got a tool in your toolbox. Because for me, for instance, I get a real heat prickle behind my ears. I hear lots of people talk about twisting and constricting. Tight throat is one. Um, slumped shoulders or tight shoulders. Mm -hmm. My back freezes up. Things like that. Once they identify those symptoms, now when those symptoms show up, you have the opportunity to say, oh. Right. Oh, that's what that is. And now, right then is the place where you can check in. I, I outline five cognitive steps for how you can deal with jealousy. But first of all, you can just say, okay, breathe, <laughs> just breathe. Because in this context, we're, we're safe. I'm, I'm safe. I'm not going to be abandoned. I know what's happening. I am right now exploring intentionally and everything's fine. Mm -hmm. What I see a lot of people do though, is jump to the conclusion that they can tolerate their partner receiving attention and giving attention. They just hope they can. So it's the experiments that really are that's where that's where the work is for me um i i have a program called the year of opening and what we do through that year because i believe that that opening isn't something you decide to do once it's a process mm -hmm. you go i the the image i use is you're walking outwards in a spiral and you're going to keep coming back to the same hiccups and the same pain points over and over again but in a changed place because it's a spiral mm -hmm. and as we go through this we walk this spiral of opening and exploring. If we do some experiments where we start attending to um, what, what our body feels like, if we start noticing what attention feels like, what, what sets us off, what, what has us go retreat, what has us pull back, and also the yummy stuff. Where do we feel joy for our partner? Where are we excited for them? Where are we excited, but then all of a sudden we feel swept, you know, right off our feet, like that tidal wave of jealousy comes up and we're like, what the hell happened? I was just feeling compersion and now I'm flat on my ass in the ocean. Right. If we pay attention to those by intentionally experimenting in, in context where we have already decided, yep, we're gonna go experiment with this, then we're gonna debrief about it, we're gonna talk about it, we're gonna process, that's the opportunity to increase compersion and increase your capacity to work with jealousy to get you those, those good parts the jealousy has to offer, like increased intimacy and all the yummy stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Jolie Hamilton from the Project Relationship Podcast, thank you so much for being with us on another session of Intimate Interactions. Thanks for having me back, Victor. So how did you like it, Intimates? Discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com forward slash Intimate Victor, or tweet me at Intimate Victor, or follow my Instagram, you guessed it, at Intimate Victor. If you can spare the cost of coffee to help the show keep going, head to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. We hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a review anywhere online, especially iTunes. Or you can just tell a friend. The opening music is on hold for you made of algorithmically generated notes and chords and played by an AI-rendered saxophonist. The closing music is Gymnopédie, number one, by Eric Satie. Both are provided royalty-free, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. 
Thanks so much for your time and may your most important relationships be filled with the intimate, rich interactions you crave. Be well.